chapter thirty one of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain where the burden is heaviest the deep-toned organ pealed through the empty manor-house in the gloom of a rainy summer afternoon not once in the long dull day had the sun looked through the low dull sky and mrs warnock always peculiarly sensible of every change in the atmosphere felt that life was just a little sadder and emptier than it had been for her in all the long slow years of a lonely widowhood what had she to live for the brief romance of her girlhood was all she had ever known of the love which for most women means a life history for her it had been only the beginning of a chapter ending in self-sacrifice as blind and piteously faithful to duty as abraham's obedience to the divine command and after all those years of fond fidelity to a memory she had seen her lover again once for a few minutes by stealth through an open window undreamt of by him what had she to live for a son whose restless spirit would not allow him to be her companion and friend in whose feverish life she was of so little value that he could leave her for a pilgrimage to central africa with a brief good-bye as if it were a small thing for mother and son to live with half the world between them it seemed to her sometimes brooding upon the past year that alan carew had cared for her more was more in sympathy with her than that very son as if some hereditary sentiment some mystic link with the father who had loved her brought the son nearer to her heart and now they were both so distant that she thought of them almost as mournfully as if they were dead dark clouds of trouble hung over their forms as she tried to see them in that far-off world ever impending dangers which haunted her in her dreams until the words of st paul burnt themselves into her brain and she would awake from some wild shapeless dream of horror hearing her own voice with that awful sound of the dreamer's voice repeating in journeyings in perils of waters in perils of robbers in perils by the heathen in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in weariness and painfulness in hunger and thirst suzette had been absent for nearly a year and suzette's absence had increased the sense of loss and deepened the gloom of the rambling old house and those primly picturesque gardens where the girl's bright face and graceful figure flitting in and out from arch to arch between the walls of ilex or yew had been a living gladness that seemed only a natural accompaniment to spring flowers sulphur butterflies and the deepening purple of the beeches and the joyous awakening of the year but suzette had returned from her travels nearly a year since and had taken up the thread of life again and with it her old friendship for mrs warnock feeling herself secure from the risk of all violent emotions in her friend's house now that geoffrey was a good many thousand miles away suzette had brought comfort to the lonely life together she and mrs warnock had read books of african travel explored maps and followed the route of the travellers general vincent was a fellow of the geographical society and the monthly report issued by that society kept his daughter informed of the latest progress in the history of exploration while the society's library was at her disposal for books of travel it seemed to suzette in that quiet year after her home-coming that she read nothing but african books and began almost to think in the swahili language picking up words in every chapter till they became 
as familiar as french phrases in a society novel she was quieter than of old people said less interested in golf caring nothing for a church bazaar which was the one absorbing topic in that particular summer wrapped up in her musical studies and practising a great deal too much as officious friends informed general vincent suzette must do what she likes he said she has always been my master but egged on by the same officious friends he bought his daughter a horse and insisted on her riding with him and they went for long rides over the downs and sometimes were lucky enough to fall in with the hawks and see a few innocent rooks slaughtered high up in the blue of an april sky he shrank from questioning his daughter about the young men who were gone she had been very ill languid and white and wan and spiritless when he carried her off to germany and had required a good deal of patching up before she became anything like the happy active high-spirited suzette of the indian hills who had charmed everybody old and young by her bright prettiness and joy in life german waters german woods and hills followed by a winter on the riviera and a long holiday by the italian lakes had set her up again and general vincent was content to wait till time should unravel the mystery of a maiden's heart those young men will come back he told his sister and then i shouldn't wonder if geoffrey were to renew his offer and to be accepted for since she gave alan the sack without any provocation i conclude it's geoffrey she cares for i wash my hands of her and her love affairs mrs mornington retorted waspishly she might have married alan a young man who adored her and a very good match very good now his father's gone she jilted alan one would suppose solely because she was in love with geoffrey oh dear no she refuses geoffrey and sends two excellent young men each an only son with a stake in the country to bake themselves black in a wilderness where they will very likely be eaten after they are baked i have no patience with her don't be cross molly there's no use worrying about her lovers thank god she has recovered her health and is my own sweet little girl still sweet little fiddlestick coquette weathercock jill that's what she is take my word for it warnock will come back again when he's tired of africa and propose again not if he has a grain of sense young men don't come back to girls who treat them badly the general took things easily he had his daughter and his daughter would be comfortably provided for when his day was done he was more than content with the present arrangement of things and he felt that providence had been very good to him suzette came in upon mrs warnock's loneliness that rainy afternoon like a sudden burst of sunlight so fresh after her walk through the rain so daintily neat in the pretty blue and white pongee frock which her waterproof cloak had preserved from all harm i did not think you would come to-day dear did you think the rain would frighten me the walk was lovely in spite of a persistent drizzle the woods are so fresh and sweet and every little insignificant wild flower sparkles like a jewel i have a tiny bit of news for you not bad news no i hope not lady emily is at beechhurst she came late last night the cook at the vicarage saw her arrive and bessie edgefield told me this morning do you think it means that alan is expected home and geoffrey with him would to god it meant that i am getting very weary suzette weary to death my anxiety is like a wearing physical pain 
it is so long since we have heard anything of them yes it seems very long suzette murmured soothingly it is very long quite four months since i had geoffrey's last letter do you think it is really as much as that i know it is and there is the postmark to convince you glancing at the secretaire where she kept those treasured letters geoffrey seldom dates a letter i've read that last one again and again and again they were at ujiji the place seemed almost civilized as he described it but they were to cross the lake later on the great lake like an inland sea to cross in an open boat how do i know that they were not drowned in that crossing he told me the natives were afraid of going on the lake in a storm and he is so foolhardy so careless of himself he may have over-persuaded them hark cried suzette a visitor what a day for callers to choose they must really wish to find you at home there was the usual delay caused by the leisurely stroll of a footman from the servants quarters to the hall door and then the door of the music-room was opened and the leisurely footman announced lady emily carew lady emily shook hands with mrs warnock with a clinging almost affectionate air and allowed herself to be led to an easy chair near the hearth where some logs were burning to give a semblance of cheerfulness amidst the prevailing grey of the outside world there was a marked contrast in the lady's greeting of suzette to whom she vouchsafed no handshake only the most formal salutation the mother of an only son whom she deems perfection cannot easily forgive the girl who goes near to breaking his heart i was so surprised to hear you were at beechhurst said mrs warnock i hope you bring good news that the travellers are nearing home lady emily could hardly answer for her tears indeed no she said piteously my news is very bad i could not rest at home i thought you might have heard lately from mr warnock my latest letter is four months old ah then you can tell me nothing ellen has written later he wrote the night before they left ujiji but the news the bad news what was it very very bad they are alone now our sons alone among savages in an unknown country friendless helpless what is to become of them but mr patrington surely he has not deserted them no no poor fellow he would never have deserted them he is dead he died of fever the news of his death was cabled to his brother by allen the message came from zanzibar but he died on his way from the lake to kasango that was allen's message died of fever on the journey to kasango allen's last letter was from ujiji they were all well when he wrote and in good spirits looking forward to the journey down the congo and now their leader is dead the man who knew the country and they are alone helpless and ignorant they are men suzette flashed out indignantly her eyes sparkling with tears they will fight their way through difficulties like men of courage and resource i don't think you need be frightened mrs warnock nor you lady emily it is very good of you to console me miss vincent replied allen's mother but if you had known your mind a little better my son need never have gone to africa i am sorry you should think me so much to blame but what would you have thought of me if i had not told allen the truth well you have sent him away and he is dead perhaps dead in the wilderness of fever like poor cecil patrington suzette bowed her head and was silent under this reproof she could feel for the mother and was content to bear unmerited blame she went to the organ and occupied herself in putting away the scattered sheets of music 
with that death neatness which in her case was an instinct the two mothers sat side by side and talked and wept together they could but speculate upon the condition and the whereabouts of the wanderers those few words from zanzibar told them so little cecil patrington's elder brother had written to lady emily enclosing a copy of the message with the polite hope that her son would find his way safely home there was no passionate grief among his relations at home for the wanderer who lay in his final halting-place under the great sycamore long years of absence had weakened family ties and the head of the house of patrington was a busy country squire with an increasing family and a diminishing rent-roll suzette put on her hat and wished mrs warnock good-bye she would have left with only a little bend of the head to lady emily but that kindly matron had repented herself of her harshness and held out her hand with a pathetic look which went straight to the girl's heart forgive me for what i said just now she pleaded i am almost beside myself with anxiety you were not to blame truth is always the best but my poor alan was so fond of you and you and he might have been so happy if you had only loved him i did love him once faltered suzette but later it seemed as if my love were not enough not enough for a lifetime ah but there was someone else we know mrs warnock someone who is like my poor son but cleverer handsomer more fascinating it was mr warnock's return that changed you no 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 suzette protested eagerly if it had been i might have acted differently please don't talk about me and my folly not to know myself or my own heart they are both away god grant they are well and happy and enjoying the beauty and the strangeness of that wonderful country why should they not be safe and happy there think how many years mr patrington had spent in africa before the end came why should they not be as safe as cameron stanley trivier her heart sank even as she argued in this consoling strain remembering how with stanley with cameron with trevier there was one left behind but here perhaps the fates were already appeased one had fallen by the way the sacrifice had been made to the cruel goddess of the dark land will you come to beechurst with me suzette pleaded alan's mother it would be so kind if you would come and stay with me till to-morrow morning i shall leave by the first train to-morrow i want to be at home again to be there when alan's letter comes there must be a letter soon it is so lonely at beechurst i think general vincent could spare you for just one night suzette proposed that lady emily should dine at marsh house but she seemed to take a morbid pleasure in her son's house in spite of its loneliness so suzette drove back to matcham with her took her to tea with the general and obtained his permission to dine and sleep at beechurst and did all that could be done by unobtrusive kindness and attention to console and cheer alan's mother End of chapter thirty one